Hello and welcome back to the Church of Jesus Christ study session with Come Follow Me. I'm your host Matthew Roberts and this is series 2 episode 164 of this study podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. We are continuing with our Come Follow Me study for this week, covering June the 8th to June the 14th, which is found, which is in Alma chapter 8 to 12. Jesus Christ will come to redeem his people. We are now moving into that part of the uh, the message this week, looking in Alma chapters 11 to 12. We're going to cover 11 to 12 over the last three days of this week, uh, including the uh, the section uh, which covers chapter 12, verses 8 to 18 later. Uh, but this title is God's plan is a plan of redemption. Now we are going to, before we dive into the plan of redemption part in our chapter 11, deal with the um, the temptation of Zizram. Um, now it, we begin in the first chapter, well in chapter um, 11, with a very long description of the uh, Nephite money system. And there is a purpose we have this. Um, and actually, there's a couple of purposes that I didn't realize. There's one purpose I didn't really ever notice until studying this a bit further. Um, but we do know that um, from a no why, uh, number 322 from Book of Mormon Central, why should you care about the Nephite weights and measures system? Um, that there is a couple of things we learn from this. Uh, firstly, um, it obviously gives us an idea of the exchange ratios for gold, silver, and all sorts of stuff uh, in, in the Nephite time, which helps us understand something in a bit, which I'll share with you. But there's two two other things that we, that we learn. First of all, that there is a precedent for this. So it isn't something which was kind of just made up on the spot when the Book of Mormon was being um, written or translated. But actually, there is there was um, one example uh, called the Law of Eshnunna, uh, which was in ancient Mesopotamia, uh, and it was a, a system which had a fixed rate for values of silver for goods and things like that. And so, you know, it shows that, um, you know, that was prevalent um, around the time in, in Book of Mormon times. Uh, and so, you know, we have evidence of that. But it also points out to us uh, just how fair the, um, the, the the king was who put this into place. Uh, we don't. We didn't learn about this. This um, you know, law of Eshnunna until the mid twentieth century, but um, th- but and the and the similarities between King Mosiah's and Eshnunna's law codes are very similar, and so it's a reminder of the authenticity of the Book of Mormon. But it also shows what kind of ruler King Mosiah was. He wanted fairness. He wanted equality for everyone. He wanted. He didn't want anyone to be kind of hoodwinked in their in their dealings, and so he created this system, uh, which you know meant that the Nephites could become more. Um, fair and more civilized in their transactions, which um, you know was a great step for him. Uh, I'm presuming it, he's referring to King Mosiah the second, although it could be King Mosiah the first. Um, in fact, well, actually, I think it may well have been King Mosiah the second because it mentions the reign of the judges, which of course King Mosiah the second was responsible for as well. Um, but in verse twenty one, Zeezrom then steps forward and says, "Will you answer me a few questions, which I shall ask you?" Now Zizram was a man who was expert in the devices of the devil, that he might destroy that which was good. Therefore he said unto Amulek, Will ye answer the questions I shall put to you? Interestingly, um, Zizram doesn't ask a question. Um, you know, he, he, he says, can I ask a question? Um, but he doesn't do that first. Neil W. Kramer said this, quote, Zizram sought to intimidate, threaten, weaken and confuse the prophets by applying the tools of his trade. His first challenge to Alma and Amulek was the temptation of money. As we have already seen, the Nehors put great stock in money, which conferred on them the greater status. 
The essence of priestcraft is to teach false or even true doctrine in the pursuit of wealth and power. And so Zeezrom tempted Amulek, close quote. So as we know, um, his Zeezrom offers him six aunties of silver, which he'll give him if he, does, if he denies the existence of a supreme being. Um, what is interesting with this, um, which is something I, I completely, well, I, well, I didn't notice, but um, is something that's interesting when you consider uh, that the importance of names in the Book of Mormon. So we know that Zeezrom offer, offers this bribe, which is about 42 days of labor. Um, but then we understand, but then we realize that Zeezrom's name may well itself be a um, derogatory or unflattering name meant for him. Zeezrom may not have even been his name. <laughs> I was absolutely astounded when I um, heard about this. I think it was on the um, uh, interpreter podcast to begin with. I first heard it, but Zeezrom's name may well be a play on words which we often have, uh, you know, in different places in the Book of Mormon, we have names given to certain people for certain reasons. If you look in verse 12 of Alma, of Alma 11, you notice that one of the units of uh, money that we're told about, particularly of, of, of silver, was was an Ezrim of silver. And now, obviously, that's very similar to the name Ezrim. Um, and Stephen Ricks uh, explained it in this way, quote, the Book of Mormon proper name Ezrim may have the meaning he of the Ezrim. He continued, Ezrim, or Ezrim, is a Nephite word mentioned in Alma 11, 6 as a unit of, and 12 as a unit of measure. Um, a silver measure. As a silver measure, which in Hebrew is kesep, silver, or money, it may be the equivalent of money as well, indicating the meaning he of silver, or he of money, suggesting Ezrim's early obsession with money, close quote. So whether he gave this name unto himself or this name is given to him, um, you know, since he's been born or whether it's given, this name is given to him by whoever's recording this, um, Zizram may well literally be a name, which means he of the silver, uh, which kind of indicates just his, his um, love of and his de desire for money. However, Amulek obviously responds, and this may well lead to why, or link to why he's so strong in his response. He says in verse 23, O thou child of hell, why tempt ye me? I mean, it's, um, you know, at first it's, it seems a little uh, strong, that response, you know, he's just offering some money. But actually, when you think about the intention behind it, um, it may well be that he's literally doing it, not even to necessarily give him the money, but just try and, you know, try and, um, play against the the, the carnal desires of, of money uh, that may well be there uh, for these people. So we'll continue into verse, uh, <coughs> verses 28 to 29. So Al, uh, Ami, sorry, Alma, Amulek uh, kind of testifies against uh, the love of money and that he won't deny the, his, the existence of, of a God uh, for money. <clears throat> and then Caesar goes into his questions and answers session. Um, so Zedron begins with this. In verse 26, he says, Thou sayest there is a true and living God. And Amulek said, Yea, there is a true and living God. Now Zedron said, Is there more than one God? And he answered, No. Now, um, Zedron is trying to go down a path here, uh, which we'll find out in a moment. Uh, Joseph Fielding McConkie and Robert L. Millet um, explain this further by saying, quote, That same Jehovah had spoken anciently to, Israel, to Isaiah, I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no saviour. Zizram then asks whether it is the Son of God who will come as the Messiah, to which Amulek simply answers, yea. From the crafty lawyer's perspective, at this point, it would appear that Amulek is contradicting himself. But in fact, the Nephite missionary is delivering a profound truth. 
Jesus Christ is both God and Son of God. Is there only one God? Yes, there is only one God who shall come to take away the sins of the world and ransom fallen men and women from the temporal and spiritual death brought into the world by the fall of Adam. That God is also the Son of God, the Son of Man, meaning the Son of the Man of, of Holiness. Close quote. Sometimes, and, and to be honest, this confused me to begin with, you know, if we, if he's referring to the one God being the Son of God, then what about our Heavenly Father? But what we need to remember is the context at this time, um, the God of... Um, the God of the Old Testament, uh, Jehovah, was indeed the Saviour, the God that they had dealings with and who was to be their one God, as proclaimed from the uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, was Jehovah, who is Jesus Christ. And in this sense, for them, there is the one God. Um, that is who they sacrificed to. That is who they, 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 they worshipped. And then, of course, our Saviour came down as the Son of God uh, in, in the meridian of time. And that's when things begin to change, perhaps, in, in our relationship with the Godhead. Um, he then became the one who sacrificed himself um, for the sins of many so that he could be a mediator between us and the Etern and our Heavenly Father. So I think there is an interesting uh, point there to be made about the relationship between, you know, who this one God is for the Nephites. Um, in verses 34, in verse 34, Zedrim says, Shall he save his people in their sins? And Amulek answered, and he said unto him, I say unto you, he shall not, for it is impossible for him to deny his word. Now, Zedrim then switches into a lawyer mode and trying to twist his words and say, aha, you're, you're saying there is one God and that the son of God shall come, but he will not save his people as if he can't do it. You know, he has, as if he doesn't have the power to save people. Um, and uh, I think there's a very interesting play on words there. Elder D. Dr. Christopherson said this, quote, God will always love us, but he cannot save us in our sins. Remember the words of Amulek to Zedrim, that the Saviour would not save his people in their sins, but from their sins. The reason being that sin, being that with sin we are unclean, and no unclean thing can inherit or in the kingdom of heaven or dwell in God's presence. And Christ hath power given unto him from the Father to redeem his people from their sins because of repentance. Therefore, he hath sent his angels to declare the tidings of the conditions of repentance, which bringeth unto the power of the Redeemer, unto the power to the salvation of their souls. Close quote. And this is where we now start to move into this great teaching of the plan of redemption, um, you know, and how exactly how this works. In verse 39, we, you know, we start to learn about who Christ is and what he will do. And we'll continue with that tomorrow. Mentioning, of course, in 39, he calls him the eternal father. Uh, because Zedrim asks him, is, is the Son of God the very eternal Father? Um, he says he is. And of course, if we're a bit confused by that, we can go back to Abinadi's teachings about Christ being the eternal Father, uh, in the sense that he was is the creator of the earth, he is the creator of the heavens, um, and he is eternal. Um, and so, you know, that is where that little confusion may come in. Anyway, we're going to pause it there because there's loads more to get through and we'll just continue into tomorrow. So thank you for listening. Please, uh, join in and, and engage with the podcast. Uh, we have an email, uh, ldsstudysession at gmail.com. And of course, there is the Facebook group, which I strongly recommend, Church of Jesus Christ Study Session with Come Follow Me, where you can share what you've been studying and uh, share your thoughts with others as well. Uh, thank you for listening. And until we meet again.